0: This show is part of the Pika Science Podcast, studying the intersection of video games and science.
1: Coming to you live from a radio tower near you, studying the intersections of video games and science, this is Pokey Science.
2: Hello, welcome back to another episode of Pokey Science. It's me, Sessie, here with Dr. Ray. Hello and Chelsea. Hi. And very special guest today, Max Reynolds of University of Wisconsin-Madison.
1: Hi, nice to be here.
2: So happy to have you. Thank you for joining us. I guess I will let you introduce yourself. So, who are you and what is your background?
1: Yeah, my name is Max Reynolds. I'm a master's student at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Um, I am in my second year, hopefully about to finish soon and I currently study three spined stickleback, which are a little tiny fish, kind of global distribution, but I'm looking at them in the Great Lakes where no one really knows much about them. So I'm looking at the population genetics and trying to determine their origin.
2: Can totally confirm that we really don't know. Like, from an invasive standpoint, even if like three spined stickleback is like a problem, if it's not, do we care? I don't know. So very into this.
1: (laughs) Yeah, nobody knows. They're listed as an invasive, but they may not be. So kind of a. terminology thing.
0: So going into it a bit, what can you tell us more about your current research?
1: Um, yeah, so my lab, I think is really fun. I like everyone in my lab and we study very diverse things, but we all look at three spine stickleback or a obligate host, uh, obligate parasite, which is a tapeworm. Um, and so we look at genetics, we look at tapeworm morphology, we look at immune response, um, so kind of the whole gambit of evolution things. I'm kind of on the. Maybe one end of it where I'm more ecology-focused and population genetics-focused, but I have enjoyed being in an evolution group.
0: Do you have a favorite tapeworm?
1: Favorite tapeworm? Um, I do not have a favorite tapeworm. I think they're really cool. They kind of look like noodles, though, and I think if you fed them up to people, you would not know.
2: (laughs) the sticklebacks are the obligate host for the tapeworms or is that just like two okay yes they're the obligate
1: host um, for a tapeworm and then a bird eats the fish and then the tapeworm passes its eggs out through the bird so it's kind of a complex life cycle it was the first complex parasite life cycle ever to be fully recreated in a lab setting which is kind of cool
3: That is really cool all
2: right well so now we're getting a twofer Yay. in this episode yeah. between evolution and also and, um, life cycle.
3: Hate so. to, to pull us away from really cool tapeworms, but just really cool <laughs> for, the, <laughs> for the sake of the pie. <laughs> what are your favorite Pokemon memories?
1: Um. Yeah. So i I think like a lot of you grew up playing Pokemon straight from the beginning. Almost it came out um like two months right before I was born. Actually, so it's I am excited to be like. A, I've never existed in a world without Pokemon. Oh, baby. That's <laughs> the video game that is, I should say. And yeah, a little brother of mine, and we always would get like Ruby and Sapphire, uh, Fire Red and Leaf Green. So we kind of had like all of the paired games throughout the whole time because before you could connect to the internet really easily, it was hard to get like Alakazam or Gengar. And so that was always really fun. And I remember trading and... Having the worst possible teams that you could imagine and, like, (laughs) struggling through the Elite Four, but doing it together. So that's always a a fond memory.
0: Do you still keep up with a lot of the games? All the current ones?
1: I do, yeah. I have every game and recently have been dragged into playing Pokemon Unite on Switch, if anybody plays that.
0: Oh. I've Uh, heard of it.
1: Yeah, it's... It can be a little frustrating at times, but it's really cute. <sighs> they have like the cutest possible outfits and skins for some of your favorite Pokemon, which is like a fun take because you don't really see them dressed up often.
2: Oh yeah, I did just see Gudra in her little like tennis outfit. And I'm yeah.
3: To it. <laughs> Wait, what? Gudra in a tennis outfit? Okay, I, I have to look that up. It's really cute. Yes!
0: And then, what is your favorite Pokemon?
1: I was thinking really hard about this. Um My favorite Pokemon probably consistently is Sableye. I just adore Mm. him so much. Just a little prankster Um, would be kind of terrifying in real life, and I kind of love that even more. And then a really close second maybe would be Appleton, which just stole my heart from like the minute that I saw it. Yes.
0: (laughs) If there was a tapeworm Pokemon, would that be your favorite?
1: Mm, Probably not. It'd just be very noodly, maybe.
0: (laughs) It's just like a jumble of noodles, like a Tangella, but it's just like all tapeworms. Yeah. Gross.
1: I I don't think it would be my favorite, but it was a really good question.
0: Thank you. Thank you. All
2: right. So let us get into our topic at hand here. So we're going to be talking convergent and divergent evolution examples in the Pokemon games and beyond. So let's get some of those definitions and differences sort of sorted before we move on. So I'll start with the kicker question here. What is evolution? (laughs) Go.
1: (laughs) 30 seconds. Go. Evolution basically is just heritable change over time. And we're looking at mostly change in populations and not individuals. And so, although that kind of gets a little wonky when we think of Pokemon, because that's in terms of individuals, but... Our real earth world examples are in populations over mostly long generations, but more and more we're finding that you can have evolutionary change over short generational time.
2: Yeah, that was actually something that Chelsea and I, we talked about in our Enola episode uh, earlier this year. So look it, everything comes around. It's all full circle.
0: <laughs> so what is your definition of divergent evolution and what are some of the real world examples of it?
1: yeah divergent evolution um is really just it's a similar pattern of evolution itself um and so evolution is still taking place but divergent evolution is just a pattern and that's when we're seeing species that share common ancestry becoming more distinct over time and so that could be because of selective pressure or environmental pressure anything of the sort um when we think of evolution kind of the most famous examples are um yeah the anoles um also african great lake cichlid fish or galapagos finches where you kind of have a more generalized form of a bird for example that kind of radiates across islands and each island it's becoming more and more distinct to be better suited to that habitat so
2: yeah and and it's interesting that we're talking about sort of these island-based populations is our, our key real-world examples here because I think, if I'm correct, one of the primary drivers of divergent evolution is that geographic separation. So your population is now adapting to different ecosystems, different niches, presence, absence of different predators. So that's, is that sort of how that works or what are some other processes by which that those changes can take place?
1: Yeah, so definitely where maybe um, a founder population gets separated. Um, So if it got blown over in a hurricane to a new island, for example, and then that population became isolated, um, so we can see differentiation evolving over that way. We can see hybridization between species sometimes leading to um, new speciation events. We can also see just standard genetic drift um, where populations just over time aren't mixing fully. Um, so if you have populations on the west coast of North America and the east coast over time, those two populations may not come into contact as often. And so over time, they just become more and more different where maybe they become two different species.
0: The million dollar question is like, at what point do they become different species?
1: Oh yeah. Asking me the very hard questions. Um, that really depends on what your species uh, definition is, the species concept. And so that could be, there's some really. Prominent leading theories, but it really just depends on the biologist that you ask some say if they can hybridize then they're the same species or they're no longer two separate species, um, if the hybrid is fertile, but some people would say just the amount of genetic variation that they see across them so really a whole range of definitions, and I do not have my favorite.
0: So evolution is in the eye of the biologist.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> or the the. Uh,
2: um Microscope of the biologist. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> this popped into my head when you're talking about the the population drift and in sort of the bi coastal differences there. That it's interesting to think about some hypotheticals of how that is how we're maybe experiencing that happening over this slow period of time. But like, what comes to mind there is like humpback whale populations. Like, there's a distinct Atlantic and Pacific population, and so thinking about how we're living in a time period where those two distinct populations don't intermingle and have that geographic separation, maybe someday in eons, literally, that could lead to some divergent evolution. That's really cool to think about.
1: Yeah, especially if like those subpopulations are using different song, for example, to facilitate communication. So maybe their songs change over time where they don't recognize each other's song as being the same species. Yeah. Hmm.
3: Yeah, I've read I've read um papers where experiments have been done on on birds in like different parts of America. They're the same species, different parts of America, but they have different songs, so they just don't understand each other. Um oh. sometimes they like switch the eggs around in their nests, and then the new oh. birds raised with this new song, and then when they meet their like original population, they just don't understand each other. It's like one speaking French and one speaking Spanish, and they, they don't. Understand oh. Each other. <laughs>
1: Yeah. So that would be like behavioral isolation where theoretically they could interbreed, but because of behavioral differences, they're no longer, it's becoming a barrier for
3: reproduction. Mm -hmm. Just to get one last definition here before we set off on our Pokemon evolution journey, (laughs) Uh, what is convergent evolution and what does that look like in the real world?
1: Yeah. So if divergent evolution was two things that are kind of starting off on a similar foot, becoming more different, more distinct, convergent evolution is kind of the opposite pattern of that, where you see two species um, who are starting in very different places, evolutionary kind of converging on the same um, morphology. So that could be many things. It could be they have wings or they have the same body shape or they have the same color. Um, So those are some really fun examples. And so like dolphins and sharks One is a fish, one is a mammal, um, but they're kind of converging in this like similar body shape. They have, um, their scales or skin is, um, adapted to a marine environment in a similar way. I mentioned about the wings, insect wings, bird wings, bat wings. Another one, maybe with dolphins is like echolocation with, um, other marine mammals as well as dolphins, but bats too. So kind of converging on something that is similar, even though they're at different starting points.
2: So everything is crab. That would be convergent evolution.
1: Yes, absolutely.
3: I think that's... Everything is crabby. Yeah. (laughs) That is my favorite. It's one of my favorite theories.
0: Can you all (laughs) add the context to that for the younger listeners?
3: Basically everything will become a crab because that is the most efficient for like movement and eating and just everything crabs are the superior shape
2: (laughs) it's the ideal body
3: (laughs) and you may not
1: like it but it is
3: it is this is what beauty standards are now
2: (laughs) (laughs) and that's for all the geriatric millennials on twitter Okay, so then I guess, yeah, my follow-up for convergent evolution then is, you know, so we're talking about, let's take the dolphins and bats echolocating. Clearly, they're living in very different habitats. They inhabit very different niches. But what are some of the theories about how such diverse species and such very different habitats and niches can end up in the same place for something that specific?
1: Yeah, so it kind of depends if you're thinking like whole organism or like just a trait for example, but, um, yeah, it could be like selective pressure. So, um, maybe, I don't know much about mammals, so I'm going to stretch my limits here, but um, like bats live in dark cages or caves and so they're limited visually and so they have stumbled upon this evolutionary path that has led to echolocation, which is beneficial. And dolphins may be similar where they're in like murky water, they're trying to find things underneath the sand. And so similarly, they have independently evolved this echolocation strategy, which is successful in both different environments. So that could be like a need to find a prey. So that'd be a different selective pressure or it could be just like a proxy of the environment that they live in. And so maybe two swamp species, like maybe a snake and a frog might have a similar trait that they've converged upon because it's beneficial to swamp live in.
2: Interesting. So in both divergent and convergent evolution, it is your environment that decides where you're going and that
1: is crab. (laughs) That's where you're going. (laughs) Crab only. It could also be something like contaminants or like abiotic factors, maybe, like, lack of oxygen at, like, a high altitude or something like that.
3: That is so cool. Okay, so now that you have, like, given us this idea of what convergent and divergent evolution is, um, let's transition into this Pokemon journey. (laughs) What is your favorite example of it in the Pokemon world?
1: I love the convergent... Paldean forms that were introduced this past generation. I think they're so fun. And even I think maybe there's some flack out there that they're kind of just copying. I don't know what the word is when you construct a video game character, like the model of a previous Pokemon Mm, and just changing it slightly. But I think they're so fun and it's like very reminiscent. There's a lot of like Gen 1 love, which I really enjoy because it's kind of bringing those Pokemon back into a new light without giving them a regional form. It's like Toad School and um, Tentacool. They're a favorite for me.
3: Yeah, absolutely love Toad School. It is my favorite. The instant I saw it and I saw its funny little run, I was like, You're on my team. You're you're on my team. Yes. <laughs> so They're fast. So, too. so <laughs> fast.
2: So glad that you brought up Toad School and Wigglet, because I'm so ready to talk about them. So for folks who maybe haven't made it all the way through the newest game, Scarlet and Violet. Some Pokemon are introduced in that generation, Gen 9, that have been dubbed as regional fakes or fake variants. So these are the Pokemon that look like pre-existing Pokemon, but actually have no relationship. So like we're saying, Wiglet, Diglet, Toadskool, Tentacool. Wow, that's like hard to say (laughs) back to
1: back. I'm glad I'm not alone.
2: So... The games specify that these Pokemon are similar and they have like similar aesthetic appearances, but they aren't related at all. So that is an important distinction that's built into the game. So I guess our question here is, how does Convergent Evolution explain some of these fake variants, fake regional forms that we're seeing, quote unquote, fake in quotes, and what would it take for both of these Pokemon, both Toad School and Wiglet to end up with these similar features or traits?
1: Yeah. Really good question. So Wigglet and Diglet, Yeah. Maybe let's start there because they look so similar and really, I think what would maybe cause this. um, So this I think would fit into the realm of convergent evolution where we have two independent species of Pokemon who are kind of converging on this similar body shape and plan kind of this noodle in the ground shape very (laughs) with a big nose, kind of the Mario nose on them. (laughs) And so like Diglett is kind of like zooming around on the ground. And if you've played the game, yeah, you kind of saw that Wiglett kind of zooms around on the beach. And so they're kind of converging on this similar phenotype where they need to zoom around, I guess, uh, to avoid predators or find food and they use their nose to smell things from very far distances. And so that over time might have led them to look kind of similar. I have no idea how that would translate into a lowland dig- or um Trio with a wig. Um, but we'll kind of just keep oh, that separate.
2: <laughs> That's a whole other conversation. <laughs> That's a different episode. Talk to me about toad school and tentacool though cuz I'm so interested cuz these are okay, so Wiglet and Diglet are clearly in like we're saying very similar types of habitats, but Toad School's in the forest, Tentacle tentacools in the water, like what are what's happening there?
1: I'm going to be honest. I'm a little bit at a loss for this one, too, because I think if you read through the Pokedex entries for Tentacool and Tentacruel, it kind of just drifts through the water aimlessly. It's like if it washes up on the beach and dries out, throw it back in and it will just kind of rehydrate and be OK. They're kind of just filled with menace and they sting you, especially if you play... <laughs> kisui um legends arceus they're kind of like out to get you and they're just kind of floating in the water they're the same watercolor they're hard to find you run across them and they attack you um whereas we were saying toad school and toad's cruel yes (laughs) whereas yeah you were saying that they're in very different environments if you played scarlet and violet toad school is like running after you in the forest it's so cute um It's little like mushroom flaps on it. It's very fungus (laughs) uh, inspired. Um, And they're like the cutest possible thing. It's maybe one of my new favorite Pokemon. And the shiny is so good, which we don't often get. So that just makes me even more happy. Um, But very different environments where it's no longer just drifting around using its kind of um, tentacle or like its tentacles to sting things and trap things. It's running on them. They have become feet. So maybe, I don't even know how it got there in the first place. Maybe this is just by pure coincidence that they look alike. Um, even though they are kind of in this convergent evolution realm. Um, or there's just something that I'm missing on. Do you guys have any suggestions for that one?
0: This one just strikes Matrix me as... weird. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> just being like a big coincidence. Because with Wiglet and Diglet, they're obviously supposed to be more animal-like. Well, with Tentacool and Toad School, it's like wow, this mushroom looks like a jellyfish, if you translate it into real-world speak. It's like, hmm, they're very, very, very different.
2: And and there are instances that have nothing to do with convergent or divergent evolution where we, we find fun stuff like mushrooms that look like jellyfish. So, yeah.
3: Yeah, I think they could have been, like, just taking that angle of, like, sometimes there's a plant that looks a little bit like an animal uh, or a fungus mushrooms are not plants they're fungus um <laughs> that like looks kind of like this this animal this pokemon i already have and we already know really well um yeah there's like no way we can say that they they have like a common ancestor or a direct common ancestor where like they just took two different paths but um i think in terms of like the fact that they're they're pokemon so they technically are both like alive animals that are moving around that they what preys on um that was my question because then you have to have like a similar like a similar um selective pressure happening i just can't think of like what preys on we
2: as the as the players the trainers like we see such a small sort of slice of what mm-hmm. this natural environment ecosystem looks like so maybe that's why we as like the humans are missing something is that okay there's clearly not that like in those environmental factors that are influencing this evolution Mm -hmm. but perhaps yeah there is some predator pressure that we just don't know about yet we
1: need more research more research always the answer Always, yes you bring up a great point where maybe it's like a toxin in the environment that we're not privy to that is in kind of a marine environment and also in this kind of fungusy forest that toad school is living in that maybe they're absorbing and that's causing their body shape to change anything's possible in pokemon
3: so talking about pokemon being introduced and different versions of them being introduced um, we can go back up to gen 7 and we have a pokemon that that's like Vulpix, that's given a new look um, and new typing because of the region it's found in. So um, in Kanto, we have the red Vulpix, um, that's a fire type. And then in Alola, uh, we have the white and blue um, Vulpix, that's an ice type. So they're the same Pokemon but they have different abilities that support their typing. And they also look, say, a little bit different from each other in terms of the color of their fur. Um, probably as well as the for type one looks a little fluffier, so how does this tie into divergent evolution, and how can we explain something like that? Yeah, so
1: I think, yeah, Alola was just a fantastic region and also a great mechanic that um were regional forms introduced in Alola, I think they were, yeah, yes, yeah yeah, yes, yeah. which was like the perfect place to do it based on the Hawaiian islands. And so kind of you have maybe Vulpics that were introduced to this island chain. And then over time have just kind of maybe, I think they got nudged out a little bit from where they would like to live because their predators, I think is in the Pokedex entry. And they kind of moved higher up into the mountains where then they adapted to kind of like this high Alpine life, adapting to colder temperatures and um, maybe lower oxygen, all sorts of other factors that could lead to this change. So a great example of kind of like a divergent evolution, adaptive radiation, especially on an island scale. And we saw a bunch of Alolan versions, which were really exciting. Like we look at um, Alolan Persian too. And so Meowth, maybe maybe invasive, maybe not. Hot topic. Introduced. Definitely invasive. <laughs>
0: <Yes>. Agreed.
1: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Introduced to these islands in Alola. And then over time has just kind of diverged from the Meowth in Persian that we love and know from Kanto but into this new um, form where they're dark type as well. And so. Maybe we won't get into why they look so funny to me personally, but both are great examples of divergent evolution, and so those could be from different selective pressures too. I like to think that maybe Vulpix was exposed to more UV radiation or something like that up in the higher Alpine setting, and so it led to more mutations. What do you guys think?
3: I really liked the introduction of the regional variants. It reminded me a lot of anoles, and I feel like I, bring everything back to anoles but it's because i love it i it. love it <laughs> they're good <laughs> we should all talk about them yeah but fun. uh a real life example of this would be like the anoles in the caribbean they moved into the caribbean from the mainland and then you have all these different species um, across different islands and then on some islands you have some that just like look different depending on where on the island you like find them it's because of the different things in their environment that like change the way that they look and change the way that they act
2: it's interesting to think about like what we were saying about the humpback whales like we are just potentially seeing this process you know as it's moving along and it's like making some steam to like where there could potentially be a complete separation of speciation
1: yeah i i I think if you could like dive into the Pokemon world as a trainer and then fast forward a hundred years or longer, I think you would start to see that. I don't know if we'll ever get that in the games, but um, definitely a possibility.
3: If we go ahead and move into Gen 8, um, we had some new regional variants. Um, and some of those actually have completely different evolutions based on where they were living or like things that weren't available to their counterparts um, for example we have the Meowth from kanto that evolves into the persian we all know and love and they're both normal types <laughs> and then we have galarian Meowth, which evolves into perserker and both are steel type my favorite example of this is in gen 9 actually where we have Wooper. originally they were water and ground type and now we have a ground and poison type and then it evolves into Claude Sire, this beautiful little chocolate eclair of a pokemon so how can <laughs> divergent evolution explain that
1: <laughs> yeah i think that's a great question too um i mean obviously when we have species kind of diverging over time and becoming more different or more adapted to their specific environments. Um, they don't like unlock a new evolution. We don't have a knolls that the green and brown and knolls and the green and knolls are able to jump into something where they grow wings and start running on two legs or something like that. It'd be amazing if that happened. Um, yes. <laughs> Chelsea's like, no, that makes field work so much harder. <laughs> But imagine the genetics and just interesting adaptations that are going on there. Um, yeah. I don't, I'm not quite sure if like unlocking this new evolution, it could just be that, like you mentioned, Sessie, that these are just maybe the beginnings of two speciation events. And so over time, like Perserker's is not going to be able to interbreed with Alola Meowth or um, Cantonian Meowth. And so maybe this is just the beginning of species becoming so different that they're becoming two totally different Pokemon lines. Again, I don't think that's something that we would happen to see in the game, but a possibility and the most ecological explanation that I can kind of come up with. I think that tracks.
0: So on on the topic of movement, then like what kind of it happens with uh, the Meowth lines as well on the regional variances, like when you have creatures walking on two legs and then going to four legs or in this case for a whooper, it's goes from two legs to walking on two legs consistently, then with clotsire, it goes to four legs. Do you, do you have ideas of like, what kind of pressures happen to animals or different organisms to make them change their ability to move or to go from water to land?
1: I think Chelsea, you kind of nailed it, at least where my mind is at where maybe Clodzire, as opposed to living along like a pond's edge and like kind of wading in and out, has fully evolved to living like on the benthic bottommost portion of a swamp or stream um, or pond, uh, what have you. And so protecting its vulnerable stomach. And also it wants to ferry Pokemon across the lake. And so I'd like to think that maybe it fully evolved to be a better ferryman um, for those little Pokemon so it could carry them across the water better. And then hit him with his
0: spines.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and then hit him with his spines. (laughs) I think in the case of Berserker, going from um, Galarian Meowth, which is on two legs, but I guess it's a different Pokemon than Persian, but Berserker just strikes fear and hearts. And so if you've ever played Sword and Shield 2, that thing chases you around like right before you get to the grass gym in the little wheat area. Oh my gosh, kind of scary. And so. I think it just evolved those legs to strike fear and hearts. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Yeah, I guess it's so interesting to think about Persian, both from Kanto and Alola, being probably treated as Chelsea wants to treat it as this regal regal Pokemon to be sort of taken care of and it doesn't have to like do anything for itself Mm -hmm. and every need it has is met by its trainer. Whereas, yeah, Purserker looks like he's got to like go out and like strike fear into hearts on his own so it's easier to do that if you can run around on two legs i guess i don't know
3: yeah and i was i was um gonna touch on exactly what you did sassy um these other persians have definitely have like these little like pampered lives they have they they have like their own rooms possibly they live in a nice (laughs) warm house they don't need to do anything and the type of terrain that they're on um being on all fours is much easier for them to move around and get around than it would be to you know be on two legs um with berserker the way that it's like running around (laughs) chasing people um being able to to propel yourself on two legs and have your hands free to be able to catch prey because you're not you know also running with your hands is probably not probably but like most definitely a better adaptation than running on all fours in the pokemon world for this pokemon
2: well, let me pull in my exercise science knowledge. That evolution of running on two legs versus four, that prioritizes distance over speed, too. So like a Persian on its four legs is going to be able to go a short distance really, really fast, but is eventually going to tire out. Meanwhile, a Perserker on two legs is going to be able to chase you for until
1: you die. So,
3: Which is exactly <laughs> what he wants. Terrifying. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> The viking that strikes vengeance in the
0: people of Galar. I love it. Berserkers ready for war.
1: Yes.
2: On the Brits, specifically. <laughs> All right, let's talk about my sweet, sweet baby Corsula.
0: So we mentioned it earlier already, um, but in Generation 8, some of the regional variants have some new evolutions that aren't available to their counterparts. Specifically, the one that comes to mind is Joto's Corsula in particular. Uh, which does not evolve but the galarian corsola does now evolve into corsola so in in addition the jotonian corsola is a water type while the galarian corsula is a ghost type could something like this happen through divergent evolution
1: yeah um i was dusting up on my pokedex entry knowledge as a about, good academic
0: a as good as pokemon a good academic, I was pokemon academic the
1: literature um, yes. on corsola <laughs> and which i totally agree with you ceci is one of the cutest pokemon like when misty had it in the anime i was just smitten i just fit sweet the vibe so perfectly
3: and then they introduce
1: other galarian corsola and it's pokedex entry i mean you can even just tell it's got a frown on its face it is dead it is a dead <laughs> coral um And it says that this extremely catastrophic event just wiped out all of the Corsela and Galar. And so I think this is really interesting as far as the ecology and evolution go of Pokemon in that this single event just destroyed them all. And they were so filled with vengeance that they just like came back and they're like, we're actually going to (laughs) continue being alive as ghosts. Um, And so I think (laughs) that kind of crazy selective pressure (laughs) fueled their evolution um and there's like a weird they were so
2: filled with spite that they just had to actually get more yes
3: the selective pressure (laughs) referring to is called spite i know it very well
1: (laughs) (laughs) fuels people around the world academics and courses alike (laughs) um But yeah, I know Galar is fictionally based on the UK. And so you could kind of imagine that this climate change event, they don't really say what it is. They don't know if it's like the water got too warm or maybe a pollutants got kind of spread into the water that killed them. We kind of see like... Microevolution, So that's kind of evolution that takes place on a smaller scale, Um, not necessarily in like populations over generations, but like small individuals being exposed to something or um, adapting super specifically in very small ways. Um, And that's something we're kind of looking at more and more with real world evolution. Um, But I think something like that could happen for these Galarian corsula where they were maybe exposed to like a pollutant in the water um, where suddenly they had no option. They just kind of very rapidly evolved um and i think maybe spite fueled that
0: i'm looking at cursola and is cursola just like a bashed open version of curse uh the pre-evolution yeah it's a
2: fully fully realized spite i do think so yeah like the the brittle Uh, calcium carbonate has kind of like shattered and now it's just like all of the spirit of spite is here
0: so maybe we just need to bash open like the normal normal like corsola and then like we'll have an evolution isn't that like selection pressure no no maybe in the
1: world of pokemon like maybe not in real life maybe not in real life
0: (laughs) so in past examples that we've talked about especially in terms of divergent evolution we have pokemon that have um pre-evolutions that are the same. And that you can kind of see like the connecting factor. But we have a few cases in Pokemon where we see Pokemon that don't share pre-evolutions, but have an eerie amount of similar features and live within the same region of the game. So the one that comes to mind are the fraternal triplets or the very rarely used um, pan sage, pan sear and pan um, where they have like this monkey look to them, but they have very different features to them and types.
1: I'm glad you said rarely used, because I think we should clear the air about those three. I don't know what's going on there.
2: <laughs> Some of my... I, I, think, love, them. No. I love them! I love uh, them. I,
3: what? I, I, I caught them, threw them in I'm the
0: box, and never looked at them again.
3: You what? Uh, what? I love
0: them. Oh, love no. Them. This will be the only time we ever talk about them on the podcast. So I, <laughs> I wanted to make last. a point. Yep, first and last.
1: Yeah, I think this is a really great example too. Um, So the first thing, like when I see these, that comes to mind now that I've kind of thought more in the realm of ecology, um, I've also had some work with um, natural history collections and museum samples. And so owing to the importance of taxonomy for the basis of ecology, my first thought is like, this is just improper identification. Like maybe whoever in the realm of Pokemon, whatever scientists found these first just kind of misidentified them. Because I think another great example too is kind of the Burme Wormiton situation. And so I would classify those as ecotypes, which an ecotype is kind of extreme variation owing to like ecological pressure, like sub habitat pressure, but they're still the same species and they could still interbreed. So maybe you would consider the regional variants ecotypes depending on which way you wanna mash your potatoes. But if you look at the kind of like the variation between Burmese and Wormiton, and then the monkey line, there's so much variation across those two l- lines. It's almost the exact same, re- very different body shapes, very different typings. But the monkey line, which we will just remain unnamed because it's blanking on me how little <laughs> I genuinely love them, um, <laughs> are considered different species. And so my first thought is like improper taxonomy. But I think you're right that this could this could be an example of... Um, I would maybe consider this divergent evolution, if anything. Maybe there was a similar monkey that was, like we see, like an Eevee. Maybe it was like a normal typed monkey. If you combined all three of those into one, and then over time in the region, I think this is in Unova.
2: Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: That they've just diverged into these different subhabitats, and so I would consider this maybe closer to divergent evolution than convergent. But
3: it could also just be improper taxonomy. Who really knows? To, to touch on ecotypes, another, like, component of having ecotype, aside from, you know, that they look different because of environmental pressures, is that they also have the ability to interbreed, so that, like, it makes it really clear they're not different species, even though they look very different. So, coming back to the Burmese, there's different forms of them. They look different. Um, deerling, as well, there's different ecotypes of deerling. You have the summer and the spring, and it's, like, by season, but it's still, like, depending on where you are because if you're in a snowy area you will see the winter deerling and not the the summer one and that is a great caveat
1: or definition to what an ecotype is
0: because i guess um it would be really complex but an interesting addition to like the paldean form if you were going to go back in time and pull a pokemon and you found a pokemon that was just a generic version of the pan-stage pan and pan i think you you mentioned eevee being like a really cool example of it. it's like what if like the evolution or the eevee pre-evolution disappeared and we only had all the evolutions. it's like they mm-hmm. all look similar but it's like but we, we can we can tell that there was something um maybe connecting them in the past
3: and that um that past evolution or past um the common ancestor uh thing was brought up in um in Paldia in the the most recent gen because we have the the legendaries one is a future version one is a past version of um a Pokemon that you can catch in in Paldia and maybe there were some more in between versions there but we can tell now that they're definitely including and thinking about like here are the like past ancestors of these Pokemon that we have today.
1: Yeah, and Kisui too. Um, It's kind of like if human meddling kind of was able to shortcut or jump around the process of evolution and kind of like bring things back from prehistoric times like we saw in Paldea, um, where they can only live in this like specific um, area um, of the region, but kind of like human intervention, kind of what was once forgotten or a lineage that has gone extinct bringing it back. is just so fascinating. I think now that they've fully kind of embraced this time aspect, there's so many other directions they can go with. And it's really curious to see what they'll do next.
2: Final topic of conversation for today. I have been dying. This is all that I've thought about since the DLCs for Pokemon Sword and Shield came out. And I'm so excited to finally have a platform to talk about it the Kanto vs. Galarian legendary birds, Articuno, Zapdos, and Moltres. So in Galar, in the DLC, you do encounter some regional variants for these birds, but their Pokedex entries have some interesting notes that don't, I think, necessarily point towards either convergent or divergent evolution. Clearly, there are some physical similarities, but the typings are completely different, and these Pokemon seem to be named less for their likely like evolutionary relationship and more for their just like vibe similarities. And there are, you know, just discrete individuals rather than populations of either cantonian or galarian versions of these birds, which would make it a lot more difficult to sort of explain or justify how either convergent or divergent evolution could lead to either of these two paths. So I guess, yeah, I just opened the floor. You know, do you consider these Pokemon to be examples of either convergent evolution or divergent evolution? How could they be better named? Is this just more like bad taxonomy? Like what's what's the deal here?
1: Yeah, I love that you said the vibe check of them. <laughs> and you know what? I think we have to say it too, because there's going to be a listener out there who has never put this together, but Uno Dos Trace, and they're going to go, oh yeah. my gosh, life changing. So that moment was for you. The listener, they're in Antarctica. <laughs> <laughs> their world will never be the same. Also, just a moment too for how great these designs are. They were oh, so,
2: so good. good. So good. I have questions or thoughts, and I'm curious to hear what everyone else thinks about Galarian Zapdos, because this is where I want to get into some of the like naming discussion or how it ended up here the sort of aesthetic similarities to me like yes it's got the like long thin pointed beak the spiky feathers whatever but like with the big feet and the running and stuff like this has more of like a doduo dodrio vibe and so like that's honestly more of what i get from galarian Zapdos so i'm just very curious like what do other people think
3: <laughs> i am getting the like the emu ostrich vibe from zaptos um uh, it's not giving for me it's not giving um, dojo Um, it's just giving like it's giving it's giving that like rat type mm. vibe yeah but i i i see what you mean i can see what you mean about looking like Doduo or Dodrio. but like the way that they designed the feathers and the colors that they gave it in addition to like the the claw design is really distinguishing it for me
2: there's more influence here than just zapdos so like how did they arrive at the name zapdos and what's happening here? Like, like, did did a Zapdos and a Doduo have a baby? And this is actually just a hybrid and not necessarily evolution? That's where I want to go.
3: I would like to say yes.
2: <laughs> Mind blown.
3: <laughs> wow. Okay, if the
1: Zapdos hybridized with the Doe duo, then what do you think is hybridizing with the Articuno and the Moltres?
2: Uh, I do have an answer for Moltres and it's Eveltal, the legendary from X and Y or just Y, I guess.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. Interesting. Articuno
2: I can't figure out. Maybe it's, um, I don't know, Galarian. Like a slow poke, isn't it? Ice psychic. I have two answers, but not three. Um,
1: (laughs) Sure. I think this could be convergent or divergent evolution, just depending on. So... uh, Obviously, these kind of like rarefied, deified Mm -hmm. Pokemon in the games and lore are like just that. Very rare. They're like godlike in their power. Um, And so kind of unclear if there are many individuals or not. If there's just one individual, then this could be convergent evolution where some also rare, powerful birds in Galar kind of converged on a very similar color palette and look. But it could also be divergent evolution if there was maybe like a Zapdos, an Articuno, and a Moltres that kind of got separated from Kanto and then adapted to the Galar region. I think it could really be either way. It could also be hybridization, like you mentioned.
2: All right. So nature is weird, is our answer.
1: (laughs) Yes, but we just know that they're absolutely some fierce Stunning,
2: stunning. I love them.
0: So the last question that we have for you, Max, is if you could add a new Pokemon to the game that's not already in the game, what would it be? And it can't be a Parasite and it can't be a Stickleback. (laughs) Unless you really want them.
1: You know what? I'm really okay with that answer. (laughs) Um, I know I didn't mention any bugs for my favorite Pokemon, but I adore bug Pokemon. Um, I have no idea why. I think they get kind of like a little bit of flack. Um... And so I would love to see a bug dragon type, like the Trap Pinch Vibrava that was almost Mm -hmm. or like could have been would be really cool for me. Um, Usually I play a game like with the new Pokemon when it comes out like on my team and then I go back and play a bug team only. That's how much I adore them. But I also think that there are a lot of like invertebrates missing from the larger Pokedex realm. There's no sponge Pokemon. Like I just think there's so many weird wacky creatures from like deep sea environments that there are so many other cool, like Siphonophores and Tunicates that would just make like great colorful additions to the Pokemon world.
3: On
2: that note, thank you so much, Max, for joining us today. Is there any final thoughts, anything you want to add or share, promote?
1: No, thank you guys so much for
3: having me. It was a blast. My first ever podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. This was a really fun episode.
0: Yes, thank you, Max. This was great. It was fun discussion. Real discussion.
2: Yes. Well, thank you. We'll sign off now.
0: See you around. (laughs) Bye.
2: (laughs) Bye.